Hi, everybody. Welcome to the December 21st edition of Colorado Inside Out, as is our tradition. It is our annual year review show where we look back at the year that was 2018 and always in our very best holiday sweaters. We hope you enjoy. And we hope you're having a, a, a hope you had a, a great Hanukkah and you hope you're about to have a great Christmas. Let's get a quick take on the one word or phrase that you would use to describe 2018. Pat from Westward, you're first up. Harry. Uh, it is not just an homage to our president's incredible follicles that, you know, they, you just keep watching it and he can't go, go to cemeteries because it might ruin his hair. He can't go out in the rain. But it is not just his hair. It is, it's been a hairy year. You look at the fires in California. You look at the hotbeds around the world. It is increasingly hairy to think we're going to continue surviving here. Multiple meanings of the word. Well done. It's certainly what you'd expect out of a award winning editor like Patty Cahoon. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School, your one word or phrase for 2018. Spartacus, the word brought back to us by New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, which sort of epitomizes the view of so many people in various places on the political spectrum, like acting that being a lying jerk is somehow the same thing as being courageous and brave. Well done. Uh, Eric Sonnen, political analyst. The stage has been set. Now you have to uh, follow up. What's your one word or phrase? For I was going to go with fake, um, and, my, <laughs> and, my, and my sweater does that. But my word last year was tribal, and I'm staying in the same category. I'm a similar page as Patty's. I'm going with fiery. Mm. Whether it's California, whether it's our political system, whether it's the state of international events in too many respects, uh, we're playing with matches. Yes, we are. And running at the panel, Deputy Managing Editor at Colorado Politics, Joey Bunch. Joey, your one word or phrase for 2018. Clean campaign promise. 2018 <laughs> began. We had this high hope that all the Democrats were going to play nice, didn't survive the primary. And because Carrie Kennedy broke it, she's no longer, she, she lost the governor's race, and now she's an advisor to the governor instead of being the governor. <laughs> and I hope everyone is enjoying the fact that uh, Joey is a, a new addition to the holiday show, and he really brought his game. He really brought a great holiday sweater. Uh, Joey, just very proud. And knowing the kind of competition you had with Eric Sonderman, who well, you know, always comes up with something good. All the kittens have names, you know. There's Patty, you know, Dominic's the little troublemaker. I, I, think, uh, I think Dave's around back, you know. Eric's clawing his way up in the bottom. Well done, Joey. Well, let's get to it. The biggest, <laughs> the biggest story of the year was clearly the 2018 election. But let's remember that we had competitive primaries for governor in both parties and in many other ticket ra down ticket races. That kept us guessing throughout the entire year. In addition to the big candidate races, ballot issues made a resounding return to the airwaves with millions being spent on the drilling setback measure, among others. Uh, Patty, we were talking about uh, frontrunners way back in the early part of 2018 uh, for the governor's race of George Brockler and Ed Perlmutter. And that changed really fast to a whole different slate of people. The year was the election. What do you take away from it as we look back? Well, that next year we might, next election, we might need an even bigger clown car. You know, we use that analogy through this election because there were so many people jamming in, jamming out, and I'm wearing a sweater that I think any of them could have worn in that clown car. Don't forget, we also had Tancredo. So on the Republican side, we had Tancredo considering a run again. We had Brockler, who took himself out, and I'm sure now regrets it because he might have had a much better chance than Walker Stapleton. But... 
that was a very, very crowded clown car, and many of them behaved like clowns. On the Democratic side, Salazar had taken himself out earlier because he would clearly have been in the driver's seat of that car. But you had, um, followed by Perlmutter, who took himself out of it too. And then, really, even though Polis had so much money and poured tens of millions into the race, his election was by no means um, a bygone conclusion because any one of them could have caught fire. And in Colorado right now, with the unaffiliated accounting for more than a third of the voters, you really could have shifted the landscape. But um, Polis held on, and I think part of it was that Kerry Kennedy went negative. And it, the day she went negative, I think, was the day they had the debate here. Mm -hmm. So um, Polis is going to be interesting. Love the fact that we are now the cool floor of the dorm, thanks to him and pot and beer. So we'll see how 2019 goes. Just quickly on the ballots, the real winners on that were the dying mainstream media, which finally got a lot of ad buys. <laughs> That's for dang sure. It's it's always hard being a, uh, a non-commercial, non-profit uh, media company in election years, watching wheelbarrows full of money being trucked into uh, commercial entities. But so be it. Uh, David, uh, Patty brought up a great point about unaffiliated. This was the first year where unaffiliates got to vote in the primaries. Uh, there were some believing that it was going to be the real game changer. In the end, I don't know what kind of a uh, change they made, whether it was the primaries or the general election. But as you look back, what stood out to you? Well, I think they made a change in the general election because they broke so heavily uh, for the Democrats, or as a lot of them saw it, mainly voting against Trump. You know, we, we've had big waves in Colorado before that came mainly from the, the current president being unpopular. The, in the Watergate year of 74, just after Nixon had resigned, was a big Democratic year. 78 was a very big Republican year because whatever you think about Jimmy Carter's performance as president, he hadn't been popular in Colorado in 76 and was quite unpopular in 78. And yet, yet you look at how the, the parties on the, the wrong side of that did in those big wave elections, they still on the whole did better than the Republicans did in this wave election. And I think a key reason that doesn't get talked about enough is the Democratic Party uh, for now about 15 years, has been doing a very good job of building long-term infrastructure. It's discussed in its an earlier phase in a book called The Blueprint, mm -hmm. um, where a bunch of very wealthy people built the infra, infra, a continuing infrastructure for democratic success. They continue to improve. You know, I don't think the Republican Party did a bad job on getting out the vote. In fact, they increased their Republican vote quite significantly, but the Democrats increased their vote even more. So it's part of it is a lot of it is the just in, in football you have the spectacular passes and the scoring plays, but you win games with the, the, the four yard run and then another four yard run and then five yards after that with a with a really strong ground game, which the Democrats had, and the Republican donor class still remains sort of overly committed to chasing the the shiny bauble of like, oh, let's give money to this friend of mine who's running for governor. Well, that fine, but if you haven't set up the infrastructure for success in the first place, then you, you start at a tremendous disadvantage. Eric, one of the headlines we looked at in November was that while on statewide races for officers, uh, the, it went blue, and it went really blue. I mean, the, the tightest race was 10 points. I know, excuse me, not 10, but that was governor's race 10 points. I think even the uh, AG race got to over least six. Uh, yeah, yeah, over six. So that's, that's a big spread. But then on the ballot issues, it seemed at the very least, maybe at least libertarian. I wouldn't say Republican, but uh, the, some of the issues I thought would have gone that way didn't go that way. 
Is Colorado still kind of splitting their ticket in different ways, or was it about the particular issues and people involved? I think it's about the difficulty of passing ballot issues. It is easy to get them to the starting line. I think as Colorado's become this hotbed of direct democracy and where we vote on everything, the, the, the test, the burden of proof to get them over the finish line has gotten higher and higher. And then obviously the money spent, particularly on the uh, setback one, et cetera. Uh, this is a notable year, going back to the candidates in my respect, um, today, in, in the sense of, you know, we have gone in the course of less than two decades from being what I call Nebraska West, which is the default position is Republican. We elect Democratic governors, but the default position is Republican, to being really California East, where the default position is, Demo is Democratic. Uh, the margin of victories was notable. Uh, I said at the beginning of the year, Dominic, that we were a light blue state in a deep blue year. I think that came to pass. When Phil Weiser, which on election night looked like we were, a number of us were sitting around this table, and that looked like that was going to be a nail biter, and by the time all the ballots were counted, he won by six and a half points. Um, something is going on out there. That's not to say a Republican can never be competitive in Colorado. The, the pendulum will swing back. But that is going to be the exception, not the rule. The rule, at least for the foreseeable future, is that the advantage, and I think it is probably a notable advantage, is to the Democrat. Lastly, to David's point about the infrastructure, he's not wrong at all, and that is a major play. But there's one other factor as well, and this is not unique to Colorado, this is across the country, which is ticket splitting is not near what it was when many of us were young. I mean, David talks about 1978, where in one election, Bill Armstrong gets elected Republican to the U.S. Senate in Colorado by 20 points, and Dick Lamb gets reelected governor by the same 20 points. Ticket splitting was rampant. Now, because of the, how entrenched and how polarized and tribal both parties are, the number of ticket splitters across this country is a very small number. Joey, you look back at the whole political year and being really on the front lines. You not only cover the Capitol, but you're in really everywhere with this kind of thing. You, you knew the candidates. You had a chance to really see the races. What stood out to you as kind of the highlights of what you're going to take and you know, put in your 2018 diary about this election year? What, what stood out? There's a lot there. You know, it's kind of like Santa's bag. There's something in there for everybody, depending <laughs> on what you want. Uh, you know, the, 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 the Democrats can say, oh, we're a blue state now because we elected all these, uh, these statewide officers by such margins. But then you look at the, uh, the ballot issues and, and how people, and I never thought that any of those ballot issues, you know, we don't like taxes in this state. You know, we support oil and gas. Those are not Democratic values. So, um, I don't, I don't like the red, blue, purple stuff. I think we're more of a swing state, and I think it will swing back. Maybe not immediately, because Donald Trump is the sunshine that covers the landscape right now, and he's going to be on the ticket in 2020 when, uh, when Cory Gardner is up for re-election, and we'll, uh, we'll vote on the, the state house members again. I don't look for the state house to swing back to Republicans in 2020. You know, there's really only six competitive seats in the Senate, and Republicans only already control four of them. And, you know, they would have to win the other two. So I think the Democrats are going to hold the legislature. And, of course, Jared Polis is not on the ticket again until 2022. What I'm saying is that Democrats feel like they have a mandate coming out of this election. Now they've got to govern on that mandate. And if they see this mandate as very liberal, then we're going to see some very liberal policies on guns, 
um, the oil and gas industry, uh, maybe a run at repealing Tabor, maybe a run at, um, at the uh, repealing the death penalty. We've got an interesting two years. You know, I'm looking forward instead of looking back. What does it mean? Ask me in two years. <laughs> The 2018 legislative session will likely be remembered more for how it handled or didn't handle sexual harassment issues than for any laws that were passed. Former state legislator Steve Lebsock became the first legislator to be expelled by his peers in a, over a century. And several other lawmakers were subject of sexual harassment complaints. David, uh, I'm sure there were a lot of uh, big important laws that were passed in the legislature this year, but I know the headlines that we talked around this table, as I looked at all of our past scripts, a lot of them had to deal with the various sexual harassment issues, whether it was Lebsock or Randy Baumgartner in the Senate or everything else. Uh, what do you think uh, comes out from that experience in 2018? That the media sometimes undercovers substance and uh, overcovers personalities. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, but Lebsock is an example of how sometimes what an accused person does to try to defend himself or herself uh, can make things worse. You know, it, it takes a supermajority to expel a representative. I'm not sure that supermajority existed, uh, you know, based on stuff about, it was the, they have a, it's called the sign and die party at the end of the legislative session, and each party goes out and gets stupid drunk and, you know, some of the accusations against Lebsock came out of, of stuff he, he said there. I'm not sure that would have risen to the level of expulsion, but for the letter he wrote in his own defense and then uh, with uh, a strong pushback against uh, his accuser. Um, and that seemed to, for a lot of people, turn, turn them off. And there were some people on the floor of the House on, on the expulsion day vote, who said, look, you, you don't have to make any decision about what happened at this party you weren't at. Just look at the letter uh, that he sent you. So I think in, in that sense, it, it undid him. Eric, do you think, how do you think this is going to impact us move forward? Because there was a lot in 2018 that was about, it wasn't just Lebsock, it was a lot of different people. Absolutely. Uh, I think as we will look back in years future on the 2018 session, you know, it's like you look back on the Clinton presidency, what's the number one thing you think of? It's the scandal. I think uh, you will look back on 2018 legislature rising to David's challenge. You know, let's talk about personality, not substance. It will be about sexual harassment or it will be about Me Too and everything attendant to that. I think the most important, we've commented before, the most important person around the Capitol last year was not John Hickenlooper or 100 legislators. It was Ben to Berkland, uh, reporter then at... Uh, uh, she was at KUNC. KUNC. She was She's now at Colorado Public Radio. You are always waiting for what new story Bento was going to break on who was, you know, literally getting caught with their pants down. Uh, I'm, to, to Joey's point about looking forward instead of backwards, two thoughts. Now that the Democrats run the state Senate, do they have a different attitude about Randy Baumgartner than the Republican majority under President Kevin Grantham did? Baumgartner has two more years, I believe, before he is term limited. Does he continue to skate, or do the Democrats try to hold him to account? Uh, and I think the other big issue going forward without regard to this particular sexual harassment piece is just between Jared Polis and big Democratic majorities in both houses, who's going to pump the brake pedal, or is there a brake pedal? 
or does the full democratic agenda, now that they think their majorities are not tenuous but rather permanent, are they just going to go all in for every issue that makes uh, democratic hearts go pitter-patter? I don't know who has the brake pedal. We'll see if the new governor does. Joey, you were there. You got to see what the, the palpable difference in the 2018 legislative session compared to previous ones. How would you describe it as we look back at this year? It was terrible. It was just absolutely awful. I've been doing this for a long time. I've covered legislatures in four states, and I've never seen anything like it. You know, we work on a collegial level, and the, the, the building runs on relationships. In last session, those relationships were fractured. And I'm interested to see what happens going forward. I say Democrats have to act strongly or what they did last session starts to look awfully political. You know, we had six people that were charged with acting inappropriately. And, you know, some of them seemed a lot more severe than others. You know, Lebsock, uh, the, the bomb gardener situation, you know, they had an expulsion vote on him, but it didn't pass. And then more allegations came out immediately after that expulsion vote on Baumgartner. So, you know, they worked off during the op session on a policy. Now they have to enact that policy. But we also have to see what this means for women in the legislature. I know there were a lot of women lobbyists and legislatures who were legislators who were concerned that women have worked so hard to have a seat at the table. Does, does this invite the rise of the old boys club? So again, we don't know, you know, we know what the first chapter is, but we don't know how this story ends and we don't know if it has a happy ending for women. Let's hope it does. Patty, as you look back at 2018, is it, was it the house cleaning or reckoning that was needed or just a mess that we're likely to see get messier? To use the old uh, saying, you don't make an omelet without breaking some eggs, and that's what happened. It wasn't pretty. It was a big mess. But for anyone who doesn't think that the old boys club has been alive and well for decades in Colorado <laughs> and that it's not just a matter of personality but a severe policy problem, you just haven't been paying attention. So let's hope now that everyone knows you really should behave yourselves wherever you are, whether it's business or politics or on the streets of Denver, let's hope everyone has figured out how to behave. It shouldn't be that hard, and we can go on and get around to the real other issues out there. Denver Mayor Michael Hancock and the Denver City Council had a mixed 2018. Hancock formally apologized for a series of inappropriate texts to a former Denver police detective. Meanwhile, growth in Denver continued to break records, but also became a key reason Mayor Hancock faces significant competition in his re-election bid next year. Eric, what's the, uh, I guess, the takeaway for the city of Denver this year? You have uh, new restaurants and booming. There's, there's more apartments on Wilton Street than there's ever been before, and there's, there's good and bad with that. But what does Denver take away from 2018? My word for Denver in 2018 is paradox. I think there's a paradox between the tremendous success of this city. I used the word fiery to describe the year. I was thinking of national politics, but it also applies to Denver. Denver is on fire right now in terms of its growth, in terms of in-migration, in terms of new restaurants, development, etc. But the paradox is there are a whole lot of people asking questions of, is this what we want? What is being lost in the transition? How is it affecting the, the character of the city, etc.? All of 2018, in my mind, is a table setting for the next six months, which really start, they've started, but certainly will kick off with the first of the year where we have a mayor's race. And I think this will be a race. Hancock enters as a strong incumbent and, 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 and probably a, a decent-sized favorite. But um, unlike his first re-election, this will be a race. The market out there, there's a market for an alternative. And the question is, who can step into that role? Is it Jamie Gillis? Is it a Penn Tate? 
who is it who will be the credible alternative to Michael Hancock? Joey, the person sitting in that seat last year is now a candidate for mayor, and probably not just because of what happened with the inappropriate text or everything else, but i got to believe that has a, a great deal to do with how weak Mayor Hancock is going into his uh, re-election bid. You look back at 2018 in Denver, what stands out to you? Well, I think Eric's right. You know, Hancock may be the favorite, but he should be the overwhelming favorite, and he's not. People are looking at alternatives, and I think that, uh, that Hancock is, um, is con very concerned about it. That's the reason he's rolling out so many initiatives, things that Penfield Tate would tell you he should have been doing years ago. Uh, he, there, there are plenty of people to carve up his support already in the race, and I don't think we've seen everybody who is going to get in this race yet. Um, I think the word is surprise. I'm surprised that Hancock is struggling, given all the prosperity that Denver has. But there is dissatisfaction. And I think that some people, you know, Denver's never been a big city. Denver's been a collection of small towns stuck together. And I think there's a lot of people who would like to think of Denver as Mayberry and not as Manhattan. <laughs> That's a very good point. Uh, Patty, you're, uh, a, you've been a, a Denverite for a long time, so you're right here at ground zero of all the different changes. Uh, what do you look back, as you look back at 2018, what stands out to you? Well, certainly the fact that maybe term limits are a good idea. I think that's part of it. It's, we don't necessarily need mayoral, mayors who are going to be there for three terms. Or you need to have a vibrant discussion. And that's where you've got the dissatisfaction with, it's not just that we have apartments on Welton and that we've got monolithic apartment buildings and everything that was charming about Welton Street is almost gone. All the history, all the small mom-and-pop businesses, there is very little that now differentiates Welton Street between any big city, the Manhattanization. Mayberry wasn't all bad, and in fact, you now see that Kansas City is saying, we don't want the Denveritization, is that mm -hmm. it, of Kansas City. And we are looking at a lot of loss, and you suddenly see the suburbs, Lakewood, Aurora, are doing a good job of kind of wooing the creative class that can't afford Denver anymore. So we have to keep some of what made Denver really a great city. David, uh, Denver, the mayor in 2018, wrap it up for us. Well, let, let's suppose the mayor in Denver are, are medical patients. You say your arteries are terribly clogged, as, as our transportation is. And Hancock says, well, well that's intentional. I've been trying to clog them because that's how I show my eco-virtue signaling. And then you say, well, you're extremely bloated and you can, like, barely fit in your own house anymore. And I say, well, oh, that's true. I'm, I'm, I'm totally for, for growth and more and more and more growth, uh, the better. And then the doctor says, well, what are you going to do to improve things uh, for the future? He says, oh, I just got a subsidy for more eating, for more growth. We're not... Denver's already got too much growth naturally because it's an attractive city for, for many reasons. But the mayor keeps on shoveling more and more corporate welfare to bring in even more growth uh, that we don't need. And as, as Patty said, is destroying what, what used to be the, the city that uh, we lived in. Time for a very favorite part of the show. And for our look back, it's always a little bit bigger. What is your disgrace of the year? Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, our president is pretty omnipresent on that one. But let's also just say the inability for Denver to really come to grips with growth and what it wants to be in the future. Do we want the Olympics? Do we want to bring Amazon, of all things, a beauty pageant we didn't need to enter? Can we fix our roads? And can we actually put people in all these expensive apartments that are being built? David. Well, it's not the most disgraceful thing that happened in the country, but it's the most 
dishonorable thing that any Coloradan, I think, did on a major national stage, and that was Michael Bennett during the Kavanaugh hearings when this woman came to him with accusations that turned out to have no substance or support. He should have done what Cory Gardner did when he got a similar accusation from somebody else, was go to the bipartisan Senate Judiciary staff and say, here's the situation, can you look into it, and I'll put you in touch with a witness. Uh, but in, instead, uh, he started working with the Democrats to shop it around uh, to the media so that you could have a false accusation uh, rather than a proper investigation. Eric. He is omnipresent, but I don't think you can have a disgrace of the year without mentioning our president. He will call this fake news, um, but he, he calls most everything uh, fake news. Um, it's just such a different persona in the White House. It's not about conservative versus liberal. We've had liberal presidents, countries survive. We can certainly survive a conservative presidency. It's about this unhinged, unbridled quality to the man, the menacing tone of it all, um, the complete lack of any sense of healing or unity or being what this country needs at this particular moment. Joey. Well, I think that our state politics are unfortunately moving in the same direction. You know, we think of ourselves as Coloradans, as friendly, welcoming people, but every election year we talk about being out of step with the voters. We get out of step with the voters. Yeah, we do. Time to say something nice about something for the entire year, but let's do it quickly. Patty. The media that continues to work with threats, with a president calling them the enemy of the people, with economic dire straits, but keeps trying to get the story out. David. Jim Kroll, who is retiring after a long career of service uh, as the head of the Western History Collection of the Denver Public Library, uh, an exemplar of what a, a great library uh, system Denver has built. Eric. Accenting Patty's point, I was going to say Jamal Khashoggi, both for his own story and his own suffering at the end, but also as a representative of journalists in this country and all over the world who operate under threat uh, by totalitarians or would-be totalitarians, and in some cases, more than threat. Joey. The artist community of Colorado, including my friend Kevlin Walsh, who made this awesome headpiece. If we want artists in Colorado, if we want art in Colorado, we have to support our artists. So check out my friend at festivefashionista.com. <laughs> She's an instructor at Metro State. <laughs> And I want to say something nice about all of you out there watching the show. We had a chance to talk to a lot of you this year. You're writing in, talk to us on the streets, anything like that. It's always been supportive. We're so grateful for your support and for watching. We know we can't do a silly show like this with holiday sweaters without all of your support. So thank you. That is all the time we have for tonight's show. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out next week when we feature our look ahead to 2019 show, full of predictions sure to go wrong. We hope all of you had a great Hanukkah earlier this month and that you have a very Merry Christmas next week. For everyone here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night. Mm -hmm.